June's Journey is a fascinating hidden object mystery gaming app where you'll play as June Parker, tasked with a daunting obligation, solve your sister's murder. Set in the 1920s, the era of glitz and glam, this family mystery is one for the ages. Everyone's a suspect until your investigation determines otherwise. The clues are all around you, hidden within tricky twists and turns. You'll collect detailed information about each character in your photo album where you'll comb over every detail. You can even join a detective's club to chat and play with others or against them in the detective's league. With hundreds of puzzles to solve, you should probably get started today. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Sound the gifting panic alarm. We've all been there. You need to find the perfect gift. You have absolutely zero ideas and you don't know where to start. Relax. Now you can use gift mode on Etsy. Gift mode takes the stress out of gifting, so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. Just answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like, and Gift Mode gives you curated gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. Imagine pages of artisan espresso mugs for the coffee connoisseur in your life. Or for the pickleballer, customize paddle covers in every shade imaginable. Etsy's got you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. Audible is the destination for thrilling audio entertainment with highly anticipated new releases. The time is now more than ever to embrace the breathtaking, sinister, and shocking tales that can enthrall you, especially with brand new exclusive thrillers from best-selling authors who are guaranteed to keep you gripped, like Amy Tintera's Listen for the Lie. With exclusive thrillers from best-selling authors, captivating sound design, and dynamic performances, Audible brings these stories to life like never before. And as a member, you can choose one title a month to keep from their entire catalog. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. Tonight on this special edition of 60 Minutes Presents... Eat, drink, and be merry. The restaurant ranked number one in the world is in the little-known town of Modena, Italy, Osteria Francescana, where you have to wait months to get a reservation. Caesar salad in bloom. Chef Massimo Batura <laughs> says it wasn't always like this. Those are flowers? All flowers, edible flowers. That his avant-garde eatery might never have become number one if not for a simple and spectacular dish of old-fashioned tagliatelle. So that turned everything around? Totally. You are known as the maestro. Yeah. Now, before <laughs> they want to crucify me in the main piazza. <laughs> 60 Minutes is constantly on the lookout for places we've never been before. So when our late colleague Bob Simon heard about a magical place in the Hebrides Islands off the coast of Scotland, known for making some of the great whiskeys in the world. Well, the story spoke to him. <laughs> Cheers. We get literally thousands upon thousands of single malt tourists coming here. They come from all over the world just to set foot on island. To study it? No, to drink it. What's your next adventure? Everyone deserves a chance to do what they love. Pacific Life helps you reach financial goals while you go after your personal ones. 
Plans change over time, and your financial solutions can too. Pacific Life has a variety of financial solutions that can help you complement your life goals and passions while managing the uncertainties. Backed by more than 150 years of experience, you can count on Pacific Life to be there so you can go out and keep living your best life. Pacific Life is one of the most dependable and experienced insurers in the industry and has been named one of the 2019 world's most ethical companies by the Ethisphere Institute. The freedom to go after whatever is next for you? That's the power of Pacific. Ask a financial professional about how Pacific Life can help give you the freedom to do what you love. Or visit www.pacificlife.com. Good evening, I'm Sharon Alfonsi. Welcome to 60 Minutes Presents. Tonight in this season of celebration, we'll eat, drink, and be merry. The food is from Italy, the drink from Scotland. First, let's eat. Today, chefs can be as famous as movie stars, but few rival the success and celebrity of Massimo Batura. His restaurant, Osteria Francescana, has three Michelin stars and ranks number one on this year's list of the world's 50 best restaurants. It's located in northern Italy, in a city called Modna, where the great tenor Luciano Pavarotti was born. This fall, when Leslie Stahl went to Madna to meet Chef Batura, she was struck by how operatic he is. Imagine, 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 dream. You have to dream about food, okay? Do so, you dream about food? I, I always dream about food. Wow. I always dream. We first met Massimo Batura shopping for food in Modena, the home of Italy's finest balsamic vinegar and Parmesan cheese. He buys the freshest vegetables, like green tomatoes, that he likes to top off with 25-year-old balsamic vinegar. Are you ready? I can't wait. Okay. It's an experience that is going to stay with you for the rest of your life. I'm telling you this. This is a huge moment. Yeah. It's a huge moment for you. Okay. The whole thing, just like yeah, that? Yeah, just one bite. Okay. And close mm -hmm. your eyes, mm -hmm. connect your mental palate, and understand the, 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 your perception, your receptor are talking to you right now. There are so many different things going on in my mind. Yeah, it is, me. it is, it is. Complexity. And that's his signature yeah, as a chef. And what's he making? He's making uh, risotto, ah. toasting rice with, uh, look, orange juice. Dishes that are complex mixtures of unexpected flavors. Due persone. Due menu super, non marcia! In his kitchen at Osteria Francescana, he oversees a staff of 35 as they build his beautiful avant-garde masterpieces that he says are inspired by contemporary art. His creations are like canvases, and he christens them. He calls this camouflage made of wild hair, juniper berries, and cocoa powder. Oh, that's spectacular. Some of his dishes are beautiful, some are whimsical, and then there's his version of popular Italian cuisine. That's chicken so cacciatore. This is chicken cacciatore. Oh my God. You wouldn't recognize most of his Italian dishes. This is the crunchy part of lasagna. Spaghetti with tomato. <laughs> Spaghetti with parmigiano. Spaghetti with fresh herbs. Batora is one of the most successful chefs in the so-called deconstruction school, where food is presented like abstract art. This what is, do you is call this in dish? three parts. 
Uh, I don't know. <laughs> his culinary creations are rooted in the traditions of northern Italy and his hometown, Modena, an ancient city of narrow streets and grand piazzas, where they've been making Parmesan cheese and balsamic vinegar the same way for centuries. It's where Batora's love of food began when he was just a little boy hiding under the kitchen table. I remember uh, my grandmother was uh, rolling pasta. In the meantime, <laughs> what I was doing, I was stealing the tortellini from, from under the table and eat uh, the raw tortellini. That's how you were be beginning to develop your palate, was I from raw so. tortellini. No. Yeah, from a raw tortellini, no. you can understand a lot. <laughs> you can understand uh, the amount of spices they use, the amount of parmigiano, the amount of ham, you know, those kind of things. Even as a little balance, kid. Balance. How old are you at that point? You're a kid. Yeah, like six. seven, six. And you're falling in love with food. In that moment, yeah. exactly. He started cooking for his friends when he was in high school. But his father wanted him to become a lawyer in the family's lucrative fuel business. I have to show my dad, he was wrong, because he tried to, you know, he tried to convince me uh, not to get into that business. Of being a chef? Yeah. He didn't you know, respect that as no, a he didn't, serious he didn't, profession. No, 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 he didn't. No, no more money from daddy. Nope. That nope. was it. No, no, that was it. Cut you off. Exactly. And you're saying to exactly. yourself, I have to show you. I don't want to say revenge is a very strong word. It's more like... Show, he, show that you were right. Show that I was right. But he wasn't right right away. When he and his American wife, Laura Gilmore, opened Osteria Francescana in 1995, amidst all that tradition in Modena, they were offering Batora's minimalist rendition of a bowl of tortellini, just six little pieces of pasta. Six little tiny, and that was so, it. The biggest provocation of all. You know? <laughs> a tortellini is something, it's, it's, it's comfort food for, for modernese. It's like a religion. If you don't believe in God, you believe in tortellini. But you don't want six. You want a nice, big, abundant bowl of tortellini with the hot broth. And he was serving this sort of room temperature broth gel, and the tortellini were there. And there were six of them, and the modernese were like putting their hands like, what did I come here for? Why am I here? You're laughing. <laughs> food critics ask themselves the same question. A very important modernist food critic came and the eat. The modernist food the critic. The modernist food critic <laughs> came and eat at the, our restaurant. Like the, the <laughs> of course, the review was terrible. The review After that, was nobody like, goes please going. don't go there. Don't go there. And hardly anyone did. His food was seen as a sacrilege in a country that reveres mothers and their home cooking. Did you ever say to yourself, okay, I'm going right back to the old Italian cooking. I can do it. I know how to do it. Never. Never. No. No, you can't do that. But after six years of bad reviews and empty tables, he gave in and introduced a handful of traditional Italian dishes, including an old-fashioned tagliatelle. And then a prominent national food critic happened by, ordered the tagliatelle, and wrote, But these are the best tagliatelle in the world. He said that. Yeah. Yes. So that turned everything around? Totally. You are known as the maestro. Yeah. Now. 
Before they want to crucify me in the main piazza. Now they call me maestro. That's the difference. Some of the maestro's dishes are improvisations born out of accidents, like his "Oops, I dropped the lemon tart." Oh, that, that's a, a classic. The story begins when his pastry chef Taka was making a lemon tart. I saw Taka completely white. He dropped one of the two tart in the plate, upside down, just like that. Oh God! Taka was like ready to kill himself. And I said, Taka, Taka, no, please don't. Don't kill yourself. Don't, don't. <laughs> Look at that. That lemon tart is so beautiful that we have to serve the second one exactly the first one. We did it. We rebuilt in a perfect way the imperfection. We smashed the other tart exactly as the, the first one. I can't, believe, I can't believe we did that. If I think now, I was like, we were crazy. I, I was like totally out of mind. Fantastic. Oops, I dropped the lemon tart is Jackson Pollock on a plate. And it's one of the most popular dishes on a tasting menu of 12 courses that with wine can cost more than $500 a person. They serve lunch and dinner five days a week and it's always booked. Reservations open three months in advance and fill up in minutes. Are you prepared for, a, for a, the best salad of your life? He invited us to sample some of his other signature dishes in his well-stocked wine cellar. Caesar salad in bloom. Those are flowers? All flowers, edible flowers. All edible but flowers. But 27 <coughs> elements in that dish. It takes two chefs to build the salad leaf by leaf, petal by petal. And for this dish, it takes a splash of seawater. This is seawater transformed into paper. You make paper out of seawater? Yes. It may not look like it, but this is Botora's filet of sole, topped off with wisps of dehydrated seawater. He calls it Mediterranean combustion. How am I ever going to eat? normal food again, <laughs> ever. <laughs> but you feel how light you feel? Very light. Yeah, there's... N but totally delicious. How long did it take you to create this one dish? Was it months? Was 32 it years. Come on. 32 <laughs> years of experience. Now 56, after all his hard work, Botora is riding high, sometimes on his customized Ducati motorcycle. But a few years ago, he began to feel something was missing in his life that serving fancy food to international foodies wasn't enough. So like other celebrity chefs, he began to think about helping the poor by feeding them. This is late 2013. We had just sort of one year into having our third Michelin star that we had worked 20 years to get. And I'm thinking, now you want to start doing this? I thought it was a terrible idea. But she relented and helped him open a number of what he calls refettorios, kind of souped-up soup kitchens. But he didn't want them to feel like down-and-out, stand-in-line cafeterias. So partnering with local charities, he created warm, inviting dining rooms in old abandoned theaters or unused space in churches, where the working poor and homeless Italians and refugees from Africa sit side-by-side with volunteers who serve them three-course meals, like in high-quality restaurants. The food, 
donated by local grocery stores would have been thrown out because it's slightly damaged or near its sell-by date. We are Italian, so we're going to make pasta. He's opened seven refettorios so far in London, Paris, Rio de Janeiro, and four in Italy, with more to come. Where did that inspiration come from? The numbers are mad. Numbers. 33% of the world production are wasted every year. 1.3 billion tons of food is wasted every year. You know, think about one trillion of apples goes in the garbage. Think about how many, you know, apple pie you could create with those, with trillions of, you know, that's insane. The man who has for decades insisted on the oldest balsamic, the finest Parmesan, the freshest tomatoes, now realizes their salvation in discarded leftovers. If cooked well, they can nourish the poor, as he says, by filling their stomachs and lifting their spirits. Massimo Vottura, number one. And his as well. It's absolutely necessary to give back some of the lucky life you are living. So this is about giving back. It's what, is what we need. We need dreams. If you don't dream and you don't dream big, you know, you cannot change the world. When our late colleague Bob Simon heard about a magical place in the Hebrides Islands off the coast of Scotland, known for making some of the great whiskies in the world, well, the story spoke to him. The place is called Isla, and it's one of five whiskey-producing regions in Scotland that make an expensive type of scotch called single malt. Isla's distilleries turn out relatively small amounts of their own handcrafted brands for a worldwide luxury market that's more than doubled in size in the last decade and become the spirit equivalent of the fine wine business. Bob liked good scotch and beautiful places, so he went off to Scotland but died before he could finish the piece, leaving behind a stack of videotapes and some random notes. Back in 2015, Steve Croft decided to finish it for him and raise a glass in Bob's memory. Isla is a small island 20 miles off the west coast of Scotland. There are few trees, miles of windswept heather, and some of the most fertile agricultural land in Scotland. There are sheep and cattle everywhere, and an abundance of wildlife. But that's not why people come here. This is eight small distilleries that produce some of the world's finest single malt whiskies. This is the whole lifeblood of this island and everybody on it. This is all we know. Jim McEwen has been working at Isla's distillery since he was 15 years old. He's now master of the works at Brooklady. I just thank God that he chose the Scots and gave them whiskey because we appreciate the gift and we look after it. They've been making it here since the 15th century when supposedly some monks taught the locals how to use barley, water and yeast to make a spirit the Scots now call the water of life. They've been perfecting it for 600 years. The distilleries are easy to find, but hard to pronounce. Ardbeg, Bamor, Bukladi, Bunahaben, Kalila, Kilhoman, 
Lagavulin, and Lefroy. As Bob Simon noted, they get harder to pronounce the more you visit. For us guys in the West Coast of Scotland, whiskey is a religion because it's a provider. And the great thing about whiskey is not just a drink. It's much more than that. Have you ever watched some old Hollywood movies? Yes, I have. Scotch was always portrayed in Hollywood as a whiskey when you were down or you were in trouble. The one thing that was going to get you back in your feet and out there was the scotch. Today, if you're down on your luck, you probably can't afford an Isla single malt. The good ones started around $70 a bottle. The rare ones can go for hundreds of dollars a glass at chic whiskey bars around the world, where they're known for their distinctive smoky taste. It comes from peat, the mossy earthen fuel that's cut from bogs on the island. It was used to heat Scottish homes for centuries and is still used to toast the barley at Isla Distilleries. John Campbell is the master distiller at Lefroy, one of the top-selling single malts in America. Peat is the thing that makes Isla unique and it really resonates with people and it just engenders a kind of love-hate relationship and the people that love it absolutely love it with a passion. And there seems to be no shortage of them. Isla is not easy to get to, usually requiring multiple flights, a long drive, and a two-hour ferry ride. Yet enthusiasts continue to make the pilgrimage, especially for the whiskey festival. We get literally thousands upon thousands of single malt tourists coming here. They come from all over the world just to set foot on Isla. To study it? No, to drink it. It's lovely. It's clean, it's fresh, it's vibrant. Officially, Whiskey Fest is a celebration of Isla's culture, but mostly it's about drinking. Absolutely beautiful, no off notes at all. As they listen to Jim McEwen extol the virtues of Brook Lottie, the novitiates, connoisseurs and whiskey snobs, approached each glass with reverence bordering on the religious. Oh, wow. The fruit in that is incredible. As the glasses empty, the smiles got bigger. But the islanders will tell you that all of this warmth and good feeling comes not from the alcohol in the spirits, but from the spirit of the place. It is almost mystical, beautiful, dramatic, and quiet. There's no road rage, barely any traffic. If you do get hung up, it's probably because of a farm animal. They have the right of way. And if you do happen upon people, they'll almost always greet you with the Isla wave. So everybody just waves because it's just friendly. There's not so many of us, so you just wave to say hi. It's what Elsa Hayes liked about the island when she moved her family here from London to take a manager's position at one of Isla's thriving distilleries. It's strange, is it not, that such a small place with so few people, your products are known everywhere in the world. I know, it makes us all very proud, it does. There's such a boom worldwide for, for single malts. Um, it's fantastic and you can really feel that on the island. A lot of the distilleries have doubled production and um, so there's a lot of opportunities there as well. And there's no reason to believe that that won't continue. Well, times are good people drink, times are bad people drink. <laughs> Is it possible to be socially acceptable to be a teetotaler on this island? Yes. Are there any? Yes. <laughs> no, I'm not one of them. <laughs> Over the years, the island's people have learned how to entertain themselves, often at gatherings called Kayleys, which feature traditional dance and sad songs, mostly about leaving Isla and yearning to return. To sit with my love on the bridge above the rippling waterfall. 
to go back home never more to roam is my dearest wish of all if this looks and feels a lot like ireland that's no coincidence it's only 25 miles away they come from the same tribe, share the same Celtic culture and Gaelic language, not to mention a love of good whiskey that gets them through stormy weather and the long winter nights. There are no movie theaters on Islet, no dry cleaners, no supermarkets, no McDonald's, at least in the fast food business. Jim McEwen says there's a long list of things that Isla doesn't have and doesn't want. We don't have any crime. We don't have mugging, carjacking, housebreaking, rape, just dope drugs. We don't have that. You can keep that. You're very welcome to it. How do you explain the fact that there's no crime here? There's crime everywhere else. If you commit a crime in a small community, you will be ostracized and have to leave. Not only that, your family, your, your children and your children's children will be remembered as the children of the man who committed the crime. Most Scots are forthright, practical people who are proud of their country and the fact that their most famous export has withstood the test of time. They see themselves as artisans, and making whiskey is more about art and alchemy than manufacturing. Every distiller has their own secrets and superstitions. We'll give you the unclassified two-minute tour. Sorry, we can't offer you free samples. It begins with a bit of trickery on the malting floor, when barley that's been soaked in water is spread out and raked over and over to convince the grain it's spring and time to germinate, releasing the starches that are locked inside. It's then dried with peat smoke to add flavor and ground into flour, sometimes with 19th century machinery, and then mixed with hot water, transforming the starches into a sugary concoction called mash. Smell that, Bob. Oh, yeah. It's not, you can smell the goodness. Yeast is then added, changing the sugar into alcohol, a primitive ale which is then cooked a couple of times in copper stills where the vapor is collected and condensed into this clear liquid. And that's the stuff we want to go into the barrel. But what I'm looking at is this looks like rubbing alcohol. This is, in fact, the whiskey. It's very good. If you need a rub, there's no doubt about it. <laughs> I bet it would be good. But once it goes into the barrel, from then it's just time. It's just time. And it's a great journey, you know. This is a child, but the cask is the mother. And that's what makes the journey. If you give a good cask, you're bound to get a good child. It's that simple. It takes less than three weeks to make, but requires at least 10 years of aging in these oak casks, which add flavor and color to turn it into world-class single malt whiskey. You'll see some of the names. There's Clement Springs. Buffalo Trace, Jim Beam. Bob was surprised to learn that 97% of the casks used to make single malt whiskey had been previously used to age American bourbon and bought secondhand from U.S. distillers. It's testimony to the ingenuity and frugality of the Scots, who have very few oak trees. Without the American barrel, there would be no whiskey industry. It's as simple as that. A sophisticated palate will detect a hint of the oak and bourbon in Isla's single malt, as well as the sweetness of sherry that comes from wine casks bought in Europe. Before the final product is sold, it will have done time in a number of different casks. Master distiller Jim McEwen is the one who decides when to rotate them and when each barrel is ready to be bottled. He opened a young cask for Bob to sample. I would describe that as mellow yellow. 
absolutely pure. And it's only seven years old. That's right. Young whiskies are like young people. They're vibrant, they're full of life. In fact, this for me is like coming home from work. Uh, at the end of the day, I work really hard. Uh, nobody appreciates me. My wife doesn't appreciate me. My kids don't appreciate me. Life's a bitch. <clears throat> couple so of glasses of that and it doesn't matter. Couple of shots of that and I am the king of the world. Absolutely. You know, I, frankly, I never liked this stuff, but the way you're talking me into it. But you've got to check every bar. I certainly hope so. so yeah. Cheers. McEwen is the man responsible for the taste and consistency of the whiskies at Brookblotty, which requires a very personal involvement with the product. I have heard you described as the cask whisperer. I do talk to casks, uh, there's no doubt about it. In what uh, language? Uh, mainly English, and it depends on many whiskies I've had. If I'd have a few whiskies, I tend to revert to the Gaelic language, so I'm talking to the cask. It's just one of these things, you go into the warehouse and you pop the bung out, you draw your sample, yeah, and you look at it and you think, wow, you're beautiful. But you're not just ready yet. Tell you what, I'm going to come back and see you in three months, okay? And other times you find a cask which is so incredibly good, you can't not speak. Oh my God, you are the most beautiful thing I have ever tasted in my life. You know, and you think, oh jeez, I just want to share this with somebody. But there's nobody around, it's just me and the cask. We'll stay. <laughs> <laughs> on most days, McEwen devotes several hours to quality control, checking up on several hundred casks. But it's a fantastic job, um, nosing and tasting whiskies. And you can still walk out of here in the evening. Occasionally I need some help. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. Dying devotion to one's whiskey is apparently not all that unusual. While we were on Islab, the camera crew ran into a party of Canadians, the friends and family of a deceased single malt lover named Bill, who wanted his ashes scattered in the waters opposite his favorite distillery. Funds for the pilgrimage were set aside in his will. That's why he wants it. It's good, it's good. Jamil! Now he's happy. Now he's happy. After that, the only thing left was for Bob to say goodbye to Jim McEwen. And it turned out to be last call for our old pal, Bob Simon. Cheers, Bob. Hope you've enjoyed this little visit here. You're speaking in the past, it's not over. Yeah, I'm going to get you out of here, man. This is you're costing me a fortune. Not long after our story first aired, master distiller Jim McEwen retired, but not for long. McEwen is now part of the team opening Isla's ninth distillery called Ardnahoe, the first to open on the island in more than 10 years. I'm Sharon Alfonsi. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back next week with a brand new edition of 60 Minutes. Happy New Year. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary and it's not boring. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money and maybe more importantly, on your life. I'm going to be your financial coach, someone who brings common sense and an insider's perspective on how to manage your money and your emotions. And I promise we are going to have a little bit of fun along the way. 
Have a question from retirement to career changes to college funding? Just send us an email at askjill at jillonmoney.com. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app. Always on the go? Well, now you can take CBS Mornings with you. Wake up to your daily dose of news and interviews on CBS Mornings On The Go. It's a podcast you can listen to CBS Mornings On The Go ad-free on Wondery+. For more than two centuries, the White House has been the stage for some of the most dramatic scenes in American history. Inspired by the hit podcast American History Tellers, Wondery and William Morrow present the new book, The Hidden History of the White House. Each chapter will bring you inside the fierce power struggles, the world-altering decisions, and shocking scandals that have shaped our nation. You'll be there when the very foundations of the White House are laid in 1792, and you'll watch as the British burn it down in 1814. Then you'll hear the intimate conversations between FDR and Winston Churchill as they make plans to defeat Nazi forces in 1941. And you'll be in the Situation Room when President Barack Obama approves the raid to bring down the most infamous terrorist in American history. Order The Hidden History of the White House now in hardcover or digital edition wherever you get your books.